All right, does it feel awkward in here to me, to you guys? Feel okay? I'll see what I can do about making it awkward, because I love you, and I care. Um, so before I get started today, uh, we are doing a series on spiritual gifts. Uh, I have something I'm going to say here in just a minute about the whole series to kind of uh, reintroduce the whole series. But uh, one thing I did want to introduce before I get, uh, forget, and I don't want to be distracted by this later, we have set up an assessment. It is a shape assessment, which means it's actually five assessments. It takes about 40 minutes. Uh, I don't, it doesn't matter to me if you do it or not. I'll tell you what the purpose of this is later. But if you do want to do it, you can go to orderfaith.net. I actually did this on my iPad, so this is how it works on a tablet. You could probably do it on your phone. It'll just be a little chunky uh, because I'm not cool enough to do mobile app stuff very well. So, uh, but if you checked on the, the check us out tab on ordinaryfaith.net, it pull up a drop down menu at the bottom. It said, discover your shape. And it will not be a joke that says you're fat. It'll be something else. <laughs> You're round, you're pear-shaped, it won't be that. Uh, if you click on that, it'll bring up this page. And uh, if you are not in our, our system, if we don't have your email address specifically, you'll need to set up an account with your name and email address at the very minimum. Um, and then you can go to the bottom of that page and there is an assessment link and you can uh, find out, you can get started on discovering your spiritual gifts, or at least get on the journey. And let me, I'll explain that more later. You, you're not going to take this assessment and go, oh, I'm this. That's not, that's not even its purpose. Its purpose is to help us on a journey of discovery of what God is doing in our lives. But I wanted to start in a little bit different place today. I had a different introduction planned, and over the week I decided I needed to start somewhere else today. One of the things I need to start out with is this. <sighs> Last Sunday, I talked about the spiritual gifts. This is not the first time I've talked about it. I've taught on it a few times. Every time I do that, some of you come from one background. Maybe it's more charismatic. One of you come from uh, another background. Maybe it's evangelical, liturgical, or something like that. And so when I teach on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you're coming at that one point from two completely different directions with two completely different set of expectations. What I wish I could do, what I wish I could do, is I wish I could take all of that history that you have with the spiritual gifts and coordinate off somewhere and start afresh. That's what I wish I could do. Why? God's doing a new thing. That's right. I'm telling you, God's doing a new thing. I, we're seeing it in Asbury. It's, it's starting to move around the country right now. When God does a new thing, and he does it all the time, it has similarities to prior things, but it's always very different than those things. Yeah. What does that mean? That means that you have an experience, you, all of you, or either have or don't have an experience with the spiritual gifts. Some of them are probably positive and some of them are probably negative. What I wish I could do is get you to put all those experiences back over here and start all over. Because what God's going to do in your life is important and it's very powerful. And that's what I want you to get a hold of. That's why we're teaching this. I can't not teach on this, even if it causes you indigestion. I can't not teach on this. There are a lot of things I can't not teach on that are going to cause people indigestion. We have to talk about stuff that matters, or we're just playing church. And so I do want you to know this. I have encountered some awesome works of the Holy Spirit in the last 10 years. I've got all kinds of stories about cool things that, that God has done through people. I've also got a lot of weird stories. 
You know what I mean by weird? Like somebody went a little bit too far. Like they were oversaved. You know what oversaved is? Like ordinary faith is going to be what God calls us to be. It's not going to be what you think it should be or what I think it should be. We're going to obey Jesus. We're going to teach the word. And, and we're going to be responsible and honorable to that. I don't, well, you know what I want people to think when they leave this church? I want them to think, one, those people cared about me. Number one, that's what I want them to think. Those people cared about me. Number two, I want them to think, you know, God was there. I encountered God there. I don't want them walking out the door going, well, you know, that's a Baptist church, or that's a charismatic church, or that's... I don't want them walking out the door with a label. I want them walking out the door with meeting God in some way. Does that make sense to you? So what I'm trying to say is, don't freak out. Would you please not freak out? Don't freak out. Hey, online, don't freak. All right? All right. Okay, let's jump into today to being uniquely gifted. And here's the question. Do you have the Holy Spirit? And so, what a question. Why am I asking that? A lot of Christians don't know. A lot of people that would call themselves believers are not sure if they have the Holy Spirit. Some of them are like, yeah, I'm saved. I don't know if I got the Holy Spirit. And of course, when I was young, we read out of the King James. The King James translates it to Holy Ghost. That's nice. So here, look at this. Acts 2.38. We read it last week. All the Pentecostal churches read this about every week. Each of you must repent of your sins. Do you hear that? It starts here. Repent of your sins. Change your mind. Come to a higher level of thinking about God and about you. Repent of your sins. Um, Turn to God. That means you don't get to be God of your life anymore. God is God. Turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That is not an incantational phrase. There are no magical phrases in Christianity. Okay? I'm sorry if you learned otherwise. There just aren't. Okay? That is an authority phrase. You have to be baptized under the authority of who Jesus was as the Son of God, as the one who was sent by God, died for our sins, resurrected, and ascended. That's what it means to be baptized in the name of or by the authority of Jesus then it goes on to say, baptized uh, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. So, this is an A equals B scenario. Or in this case, A plus B plus C equals, uh, equals something. What does it mean? What am I talking about? Well, have you repented? Have you come to a higher level of thinking? Have you given up on being God of your life and declared Jesus Christ as your Lord, God your Father as your God? Have you done that? Have you been baptized in the name of Jesus under the authority of Jesus? Have you done those things for forgiveness? If so... A plus B plus C equals, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Very first gospel message right there. Okay? A plus B plus C equals D, or Holy Spirit. Now, well, I don't know. I've never felt anything before. Don't annoy me by saying that. I don't like being annoyed. You're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. So what's this verse telling you? If you have Jesus, if you have God as your God, Jesus as your Lord, then the only Spirit you can have 
is the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit can certainly possess larger degrees of you. But when you add A to B plus C, you get D. Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? It's really simple. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. So if you're asking, I don't even know if I have the Holy Spirit. So my question is, are you a believer? Yes. You answered both questions in one, one answer. Okay? So that's where we begin. Now, what does that even mean, though? Holy Spirit. Why does God put the Spirit of God, or as Paul t- did in Romans 8, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, why does God put the Spirit of Christ in people? Why? What's the point of that? It's because Jesus Christ came to earth, And his ministry began at his baptism. Do you remember that? He was baptized. John said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. When he baptized him, what happened? There were witnesses who saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove and fill Jesus Christ. So what does that tell you? Jesus Christ had the Spirit of God. That's how he did his ministry. Because he was filled with the Spirit of God the Father. That isn't just an exception. That is the example. That is how Christianity operates. It is people filled with the Spirit of God to do things that Jesus did. What did Jesus do? What was his mission? Great question. It's so cool that you guys ask every question I have in my notes. Thank you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This text that got him in so much trouble, by the way. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, before the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus was not just a guy filled with the Spirit of God walking around going, it is so cool being filled with the Spirit of God. Yay. I don't think Jesus would do that, but I mean, that's something I did. I don't think he would. Jesus had mission and purpose. And here's the mission and purpose. He gave out the good news. He gave release and relief to people who were bound and captives. He gave sight to those who couldn't see. He gave freedom to those who were, ca- who were enslaved. And he gave favor to those. This is why you're filled with the Spirit of God, to do that. This is why the church is filled with the Spirit of Christ. That's what we're here to do. We're, we're, not, we're not here to go, I have, a, I have a spiritual gift. So cool. I'm very special. That's not what this is about. Attention-seeking, platform-seeking, fame-seeking, hiding from your calling, none of that's okay. None of that's for you. All of it's beneath you. You with me? You still here? Good. Now I can get to the introduction. You guys ever heard of the Pareto Principle? The 80-20 rule? It says that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, 20% of the people do produce... 80% 80% of the products, it's a business principle. It's from an Italian mathematician. I don't know if I trust Italian mathematicians. I wonder if they invented pizza. That sounds wrong. Anyway, so I'll move on. Here's the thing about the 80-20 rule. It doesn't work at church. 
they'll tell you this, it's exactly the same. They'll tell you that 20% of the people do 80% of the giving, 20% of the people do 80% of the serving. Here's the problem with that, pro- with that principle in the church. The church is not an organization or an entity or a corporate structure. The church is a body. And I got news for you. If only 20% of your body is functioning, you are dead. You are dead. And it's the same in the body of Christ. If only 20% of the body of Christ is functioning, that's a dead body. Now, that's not true of Jesus' body because Jesus' body isn't sick. The bride isn't sick. So we have to look at this differently. That's why we're in this series, Everyone Gets to Play, because we need you to reach into what God has given you and discover what you have, what God has given you to be and express and work with others to be the body of Christ in this setting. Does that make sense? Act like it makes sense. Just go, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Okay. Back to the Word. Romans chapter 12. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me. That isn't part of the message, but I just want you to see how Paul saw his gifting and calling as a privilege, an honor, okay? So as a privilege and authority God's given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Do you see how Paul's knitting us together? How Paul is saying, hey, there's no lone rangers. There are no rock stars. We're the body. There's only Jesus. And we all fit in the body of Jesus. Some of us are a big toe. This is really just a joke. I'm sorry, but I was just thinking about this. I was thinking about the body of Christ one day, and it just hit me. Somebody's a big toe, shoved in a sock in a boot all day long. No one even knows they're there, but they were so thankful you're there because the body tips over or leans to the left or the right, depending on which toe's out. But anyway. So... We begin with an honest evaluation. So much of what I'm teaching at all times, I'm pulling you from extremes into a tension, not the middle, not a balance, into a tension. Because that's how Christianity is. It's tension. That's how church is. It's tension. Okay? And so what what Paul is telling us to do is take an honest evaluation. And he's, he's actually coming at this from two different angles. So the first thing I see here is, obvious, is the, the most obvious one, right on top. False pride is a primary issue. False pride is or pride in one's own self is the reason there have been so many abuses of the spiritual gifts within the body of Christ. Okay? Why some of you have bad experiences with pastors and with church leaders and with people who claim some kind of gift that they use to try and get you to do something or manipulate you or just plain old hurt you. So what, what Paul's telling us to do is that we need an honest evaluation. We need to back away from our need for self-acceptance, our need to control others. We need to get to a place of honest evaluation that says, what has God given me? 
knowing that what God has given you is critically important. This is, what's imp- this is what we must understand. Paul even has a text where he says, you can't just, well, because I'm not this part of the body, I just don't want to even play anymore. That's not how this works. What God has called you to do, we need, this community needs. What God has called you to be, we need, and this community needs. So it's very important for us to take an honest evaluation to not not need to fill our sails, to be proud, to be popular, to be whatever we think we need. So we don't need false pride, but we also need false humility. That's just as wrong as false pride. False pride says, I'm awesome and I mean, I need God, but not as much as you do. That's false pride. False humility says, God can never use me. God is not powerful enough to do anything with me. Uh, My friend, God is powerful enough. Right? And so you have to have an honest evaluation of what God has done in your life. Because you, my friend, have a metron. Yeah, I know you're sitting there going, it's Transformer Sunday. Can't wait. Are we watching the movies later? There are like six of those things. Michael Bay went insane. I'm sorry. Okay. So you have a metron. What does that mean? You have a sphere of influence. Metron is just a Greek word for measure. Okay? So you can mess with your wife later. If you need a cup measure to make something, you can just say, I'm going to need the cup metron. And she will know what you're talking about, and you'll have won for five seconds, and you will be able to go, yay. A measure, what does it mean that you have a measure? A measure is a sphere of influence, a measure of faith, so to speak, as used in this context in Romans chapter 12, that fits in a particular space and time. Paul, the great apostle Paul. Okay, you talk to theologians, you say Paul, and theologians go, oh, Paul. Paul wasn't Jesus. You know that, right? Paul wasn't Jesus. He met Jesus, but he wasn't Jesus. And so Paul had a metron, and he knew what it was, and he actually references it here in Romans 12. His mission was to get the gospel to the Gentile world. That was his mission. He did not have a metron, a measure of faith for the Jewish world. And I can prove it. He went to Jerusalem, got arrested and thrown in jail, and spent the rest of his life there. That was not his metron, his measure. His measure was the Gentile world. He was pushing. That was his space and time that he had influence, honor, and authority. Paul had a metron. There were limits on what Paul could do. It's the same about you. It's the same with me. I'm Michael, Pastor Michael. Or Brother Michael, whatever you want to call me. If you call me Brother, it sounds cultish, and I love watching people get nervous. So, what, what, you, know, you know me. Um, I, I, my gifting is exhortation, actually, which is an encouraging style of teaching, and it's, it's about encouragement. So, I have a metron, a sphere of influence at Ordinary Faith. Why do I have that? Because of you. You are graceful to me. You listen to me teach. 
You have given me honor that I certainly don't deserve, but you have come to a place where you have opened yourself to receive the gift God has given to me, and therefore it flows to you. That's my metron. I could go to any other church in town. I do not have that sphere of influence. They might be kind to me because of my reputation, or they might be not kind to me because of my reputation. It just depends which church that is. But the point is, I have the sphere of influence. I know what that is. I have a space and time in which I am ministering in my gifts among a people, among a people, not upon a people. That is not how the kingdom works. There is no gift that is to be exercised upon people. It is among people. It all serves the body of Jesus and ministers to the body of Jesus. That's what gifts are for. They minister to the body of Jesus or they minister as the body of Jesus. Do you get that? They minister to or they minister as. That's their purpose. That's what they're for. And you have one. Everyone in this room is uniquely gifted, specifically and specially gifted by the Holy Spirit for a purpose. All of you. And so the point of this series is to help you discover that, to help you to begin to walk in that. So Paul goes on. Verse 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving, others serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So you have a unique gift set. God has given you things. Now the Bible's filled with gifts. This passage in Romans 12 has eight gifts. And there are a lot of ways that people look at the spiritual gifts. I was originally, when I was 13 or 14, I learned the gifts from a teacher who taught gifts as motivational gifts, which he would use this text for, meaning that these gifts were your root motivation for your entire life. And then he would say, he went on to teach that there were ministry gifts and manifestation gifts. And the ministry gifts and manifestation gifts would come and expand or diminish as they were needed. And I like that teaching, but here's the thing. Here's something I've learned about God in all my years in the Bible, and it's this. Usually when men put a framework on God's word, they're wrong. Or they're rigid at the very least. God is messy in a beautiful way. I grew up in Tennessee near the Mississippi River, which is an amazing river. And it's filled with all these backwaters. And they are gross. What do I mean? Well, they're filled with, they're stagnant, they have green moss all over the place. There's vines growing off the trees. There's standing water. It doesn't get any breath in it. The only fish in there are things like gars and things like that that you really don't want to mess with. And growing up in Tennessee, I did not like those places. I stayed away from them. I didn't like swimming in Tennessee because you cannot see what's in the water. And there's stuff in the water. Okay. 
I caught a water moccasin one day, and I'm telling you, you've never seen someone get filled with the Holy Ghost so fast. The Holy Ghost, not Spirit, it's a ghost. But it's actually very beautiful. If you stop and look, there is a balance and a beauty to those backwaters that self-propagate and perpetuate themselves. See, that's how God does things. He does things organically in a way that are self-sustaining. Man does not do things organically. We pour concrete and asphalt. And if you left that concrete and asphalt alone for five years, all that organic would take it back over. It, can, it is not self-perpetuating, as I believe Wyoming roads this year can testify to. <laughs> Unless potholes are organic. Apparently they are. <laughs> there are parts of this town you can lose your car right now. So I can't wait till spring. <clears throat> anyway, so my point is this. There are about, the assessment that you have is going to test for 22 gifts. And I said this last week, and I'll say it again this week. I do not believe there's an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts in the Bible. I also believe that a lot of the gifts that we have assumptions about have fuller and larger possibilities and interpretations. For example, gifts of tongues gets way too much discussion, okay? There are at least 22 gifts, and everyone just wants to talk about the gifts of tongues. Well, here's what, something I've been praying about, the, the uh, gifts that came to me over the last few weeks, and actually over the last few years. There are a lot of languages in the world, because that's what it is, it's a gift of language. And there are a lot of languages. My, the other day, my son was working on some advanced math at the college, and he's working out this problem, and it's on a notebook paper, and I look over his shoulder, and it looks like Egyptian hieroglyphics. I mean, there's a picture of a dude. I mean, like, what is that? No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't really that. These symbols he works on. And it hit me. Math is a language. An advanced language. Is it, didn't I see Neil? Is math? That's good. I got thumbs up from Neil. See, I'm on track today. Music. Pastor Steve gets up there, and, and he can play stuff that you don't know the words to, but you will feel things. Why? Music is a language. There's so many languages. Some of you are gifted in the language of your business. I was looking at Jody and I thought of medical records and all that stuff. I'm like, that's, that's a horrible language. <laughs> what am I saying? Sometimes our past stories limit what God's doing. This is why God does new things. God loves to blow our boxes up. So rather than argue about what we aren't sure about, we should let God be God. And let him humbly teach us how to minister to the body of Jesus and how to minister as the body of Jesus. Because that's the point. That's the point. Not stages, not platforms, not fame, not who's who, but ministering as Jesus. So how do you find your gift? And there's the answer. I wish, I wish it was as simple. Nothing in the kingdom is settled by the linear thinking of men. There is no test you are going to take that's going to exhaustively tell you how you're gifted from God. But I'll tell you who will tell you what your gifts are. The body of Jesus that you're serving with. 
They're the ones who will call it out in you. I am a preacher today, teacher today, because at the age of seven, someone in a junior high church said to me, you know, I think you might be a preacher one day. And so that's when it started for me and opened up my mind to the possibilities. I preached my first sermon at eight. It was really bad. It was on hell. I wish I was kidding. My dad is still angry about that. So anyway, uh, but apparently I was very interested at it at that age. So you have, so th- that's how gifts are discovered. They're discovered by, the, the point of the assessment is to get you started, but they're, dis- they're discovered by you serving the body of Jesus and serving as Jesus, the body of Jesus. And then things come to light. You will discover what God has equipped you to do. Does, does that make sense? So there's a process you go through. There's a journey. You, you remember this, right? Jesus didn't call the 12 together and say, okay, guys, I got a little pop quiz for you. I want you guys to fill this out. Okay, Peter, you're going to be the loudmouth. James and John, you guys are going to be the courage and the strength and the muscle. Uh, Judas, we don't know what to do with you, so here's the treasury. You're the treasure. Sorry, Paul. Sorry, Paul. Paul's the church treasurer. I'm just picking up. So you have a unique gift set. Jesus says this, or Paul writes this in Ephesians 2.10. You are God's, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things that he planned for us, that he planned for us, that he planned for us long ago. So when people tell you that God has a plan for your life, this is where it comes from. God has a plan for you, and it's better than your plan. That's what you have to realize. It's better than your plan, but it's not your plan. And uh, by the way, just, just personal experience here, he does not tell you very far in advance what you're going to do. Uh, so just, just you know, you, you kind of get surprised sometimes. So what happens is you discover your gifts and then you take steps of faith. For me, I started teaching. One day I started pastoring. I started visiting people. I started going to nursing homes and funeral homes and doing funerals. All of these things had their first in my life. I started walking into situations that other people were walking out of. This was... How I learned ministry. And uh, so know that that's what happens. God gifts you. He reveals some things to you. And you step out into that. Also, Paul wrote this. And this is a verse I've been working on personally in my life. Because I think it's beautiful. I want to pray it. It says, we keep on praying for you. Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. That may he give you the power to accomplish all the good things that God that your faith prompts you to do. So you have gifts, you're a, new, you're a new, unique gift set, and as you discover those, you'll discover those by risk, by stepping out, by serving with the body of Jesus, as the body of Jesus, serving to the body of Jesus. But you are not just a gift. You are not just a gift. This is very important, and I think this is sidetracked people. I think that my most basic fundamental gift is exhortation, which again is encouragement. Okay, I think that's my most basic. That's not all I am. In fact, I have ministered in ways that were very discouraging before, as anyone who's known me very long could probably attest to. But I think that's that's my basis. But I'm also I have other gifts as well. I love to worship. I love to worship. I don't know what gift that is, but I, I just I love to connect with God. Through prayer, meditation, through song, uh, through connecting with other people. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm leadership, man. I, I just see potential in people. In fact, it's really infuriating. When you see people, you're like, oh my goodness, what God could do with your skill set and your experience. And they're like, nah. So that, that kind of stuff drives me crazy. So what I'm trying to say is, you're not just a gift, you're a cluster of gifts. Meaning that maybe you have a prophetic gift, maybe you have a worship gift, maybe you have a teaching gift, maybe you have a gift of mercy. We need lots of that. Uh, maybe you have a gift of truth, prophecy, black and white. My point is this, you are a cluster of gifts and that is what makes you unique. No two people are the same. No two people have the same gift clusters, gatherings, and even if they did, no two people would work them out in the same two ways. So know that you don't just have a gift, you have a grouping of gifts. And the only way you're going to find those is to start using them, start making mistakes. That's what scares people. We hate mistakes, but mistakes are the only way to grow. And so you start making mistakes, and then the body ministers to the body. Uh, how many of you know that my first few sermons were pretty bad? You're being kind. I expected a rousing amen. Thank you. I had some people in my life who rather than shred me, encouraged me. They ministered to me. They were close enough to me and this is why correction doesn't happen. We don't let anyone close enough to us for real correction. But they were close enough to me that they could correct me and point me in better ways. Some of those were pastors like me. Some of those were people who just loved the Word of God that were in the church that I was in. And they didn't mind asking the tough questions that I hadn't thought about. And believe me, as I began in ministry, there was a lot I had not thought about. Now I just don't think and just plunder on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just not how it works. So just know that it's okay to make mistakes. It, but it's also very important that we're humble. And that we're willing to be ministered to by the body. And that we're willing to minister as the body. Because you, my friends, and I, we are part of the body of Jesus Christ. And this is what matters the most. Your gifts are not for you. My gift of teaching and encouragement is not for me. Oh, believe me, I could, uh, my wife is helping me get some of my sermons back in my head. In fact, I've started telling her, I don't want to hear last Sunday's sermon. Stop it! Um, your gifts aren't for you, they're for the body. Now here's the thing. When you use your gifts and you minister to the body of Jesus, that's when you feast on your gift. You see, right now, I'm having a blast because I love using my gift. I love getting to do what I get to do for the king. And it ministers to me, but I'm giving it to you. And that's how this works. As I give my gift to you, as I serve you with my gift, wash your feet, in a sense, with my gift, I am strengthened by the use of my gift. That's how this works. You see, pride comes in, and pride wants to take credit. 
Oh man, I have a gift. I'm truly special. You're special because God put his son on a cross for you. You're not special because of your gift set. Your gift set has a purpose, and that's to minister to the body and as the body of Jesus Christ. So you are part of a body. You have to keep that in mind. By the way, the body lives in tension. You have to remember this. Everyone has this false idea about church. Oh, church should be all kumbaya, and everyone loves everyone. Because that's how the disciples and the early Christians were, right? That's why the, all the New Testament letters that the apostles wrote are filled with corrections on how to be nice to each other. What's the problem? Jesus not know what he's doing? No, he knows exactly what he's doing and who we are. And he knows that a body is not held together by agreement. It's held together by tension. So Jesus, in his wisdom, puts together someone who has a prophetic gift, which is a strong truth-based black and white gift, and then he throws someone in the same church that has a mercy gift. And those two people can't stand each other. Why does God do that? Because the body's held together by tension, not agreement. It's held together by unity, meaning that we all unite under the head of Jesus. I am not with you because we agree. I'm with you because I'm saved by Jesus Christ, and he's my Lord. And that's what binds us together. We stay together, and we work together, and we don't walk away from each other because we love Jesus. And because we love Jesus and we let Jesus love us, that enables us to love each other. That enables us to forgive each other. That enables us to be patient and persistent with each other. That's how church works. It doesn't mean you sit around and take abuses and don't say anything because that's not right. You have to speak up. But it also means that you are forgiving and graceful because you realize some of us are a big toe shoved in a sock all day and the view's not so good. (laughs) And so we're a little complaining. And some of you are a big strong arm and everyone can see what you're doing. Some of us are behind the hairline. No one knows that we're holding a neck up or a head up. Of course, some of us that have less hair, it's easier to tell. So you are gifted. You're uniquely gifted. And you are gifted to be in community. And that's, that's what it's about. I realize because of our facility limitations, about all we can a man is right now for community as this group is Sunday mornings and in small groups. Every now and then we do a worship night and things, but I realize that we're limited on how much we can get the community together, which limits how much certain gifts can be practiced. But I also want you to know that here's what I see. I see every Sunday community begin to develop. Several of you were not friends a year ago, and you are friends today. Several of you are either in a small group, some people are having coffee with someone that you weren't in a relationship with a year ago. You see, those kinds of things are what build community. Several of you over the last year have stepped up and helped someone. I mean, we've done some big things in the last year. Helped some folks get a, we bought a car last December. It was crazy. We've helped folks with major moves, with major expenses, those kinds of things. And so we stepped up as a community, as a a body, and maybe we weren't connected in other ways, but then we connected to help. 
That's what builds community. That's where your gifts are needed. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about how your gifts are probably already functioning out in your job and in career. But today, my point is this. You are uniquely gifted. You're special because God's favors on you, not because of those gifts. You are uniquely gifted, and I want to encourage you to find those gifts. To to not just find them, but to begin actually learning how they work in your life. Uh, I love risk. Certain gifts you might want to just might not want to just plunge off in the pool right away. You might want to talk to someone who knows a thing or two about them. I mean, I'll, I'll volunteer, but you know, Steve, there's a lot of folks who know things about it. Like a mentor is helpful, <laughs> and there are folks around who probably are gifted like you are. That's one of the reasons I encourage people to do the assessment. It'll help me see and group people, help people help others. By the way, that's a lot of what I do is make connections with people. A lot of you in this room are friends with someone else in this room because I or someone else introduced you. Said, hey, you should know this person. They're just as much pain as you are. That's usually how it goes. They've walked through, they're a couple steps ahead of you and they can help. I want you to find those gifts. It's powerful to pray. It's powerful to ask God and, and, and say, God, I, I know you have the, you've given me the Holy Spirit, or if I don't feel like I have, just God, give me your Holy Spirit and trust him. We talked about that last week. But it, it's also powerful to pray and begin to step out in those in some risk, okay? Seek some help. Let us know. Let myself know. Uh, let your small group know. This would be a great thing to do as a small group. In your small groups, if you took, maybe take the assessment together, or maybe you already know what your gifts are. And begin to talk about, okay, how can I use those? And then minister to each other through that. Be very powerful to do that. And, 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 and I realize we all have different views and baggage, but let's make sure we love each other, we forgive each other, and we stick together. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to help us this morning to minister to each other and to love each other. I pray that your spirit would empower us I pray, Lord God, for those who, uh, for the gifts that are in this room. I pray for wisdom as to how to steward those in accordance with the vision that you've given us at Ordinary Faith. And I just ask that you would help us all to be humble and gracious and respectful and to realize that we have a time and a place and an atmosphere. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. If I think I'll have a couple folks on my right who can pray. I'm not going to make it over there today. But if you'd like prayer, you can go over to the prayer sign and we will pray for you.